1: Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying in baseball! No crying!
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and when you think of retirement, you imagine yourself happy, right? But what's going to make you happy? Today, we welcome the host of the country's longest-running weekly call-in financial show, Money Matters, Wes Moss. Plus, how fun is your Halloween experience for kids? We welcome a guy who's back with more trick or economic treats, the host of the Money Life Show with Chuck Jaffe. It's Chuck Jaffe. And I'll share some of my mind-bending trivia. And now, two guys whose happiness lies in knowing they're helping you retire. It's Joe and
0: O-J-J-J-J-G! Wait a minute, was that a compliment? Did Doug just give us...
3: Did that just happen? Doug's all about compliments on a Wednesday. As long as the moon is done in the waxing phase and it's in the 10th month of the year. So... As long as it's, it's, gotta, it's the fourth it's Wednesday be. past the f- first full harvest moon, then he's 100% all about compliments. It's got
0: to be the Mercury and retrograde thing, right? Something's going on. Something's weird. It was something like that. Hey, yeah. everybody, welcome to Weird Astrology Podcast. For the win, I'm Joe Salci. Hi, I Average Joe Money on Twitter. Why do I always put for the win on that? I have no idea when that started or why that started, but I got to stop it. What we don't have to stop is having amazing guests like the one and only longest running Colin radio show. A lot of people think it's Dave Ramsey. Nope. Wes Moss been on in Atlanta well before him. And if you're in Atlanta, of course, you know, Wes, if you don't, you're about to meet Wes. who's just a fantastic human being. What the happiest retirees know. OG. we're going to talk to Wes about that. We got Chuck Jaffe. When I was a financial planner, and this is one of the fun things about doing this job back in the nineties, my favorite, my favorite writer that would read everything he wrote was Chuck Jaffe chuck jaffe's money talk podcast now so fun chuck has got something he does for halloween that uh well it it expands every year so if you're new to the show you'll hear it for the first time if you have been with us for a while you know about chuck's game and you're gonna hear what he's doing in 2021 to to make trick-or-treat even more fun for the kids teach them something about economics but first this episode sponsored by state farm that truly understand your business. Insure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members for using their credit cards. We like, of course, OG, only to reward people when they actually do it responsibly. Got to pay your credit card off every month. Or you don't want to play this game. Interest sucks.
3: Get interest, don't give it.
0: Yeah, do not play the game. But I like the points. Listen to this. You can now earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with the cash rewards card when you sign up for direct deposit. When you use the Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. You don't got to wait for them to hit an account or anything. There's no annual balance transfer or foreign transaction fees that sneak up on you. Plus, the rewards never expire. I said on Monday that I had some rewards that I had to use suboptimally because they were about to expire. So annoying. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. I forgot to say it right. It's NavyFederal.org. There you go. Insured by NCUA. All right. Wes Moss, Chuck Jaffe, OG, Doug, let's do this. And here he comes down to the basement for his annual halloween visit the chuck jeffy is here
4: is that spooky enough well the basement is the scariest place i go every (laughs) halloween season
0: (laughs) don't go over by the furnace chuck or actually we should say that differently come over here by the furnace chuck yeah how are you man I'm good. I'm always good when we get to Halloween. So for people who don't know what Chuck does, we're going to put in our show notes the link to Chuck's, I think, last three appearances now, where every year he ups the ante on a Halloween game. You can either, number one, just get some candy from the Jaffe household, or you can play Chuck's increasingly (laughs) risk-like... uh, Halloween game. So what's up the Chuck Jaffe sleeve this year, my friend. Yeah. Well, you know, it started cash or candy. Yeah.
4: Then it went to trade or treat where yes, you were up the risk scale a lot. And now because of COVID, I think we're sort of back more to cash or candy also because a whole bunch of people were sending me notes going, no, seriously, dude, you're sending people from your house away with nothing or worse yet. That they've given you candy and they leave with nothing you you can't do this This but is cruel. we've talked about this before the kids chose that they did this year i've added an interesting twist what we did last year was we made it that there was no trading that's why covid ended our trading you couldn't give me candy that you had touched etc uh, yeah, and yeah. i couldn't reach into your bag to just grab it or whatever yeah, yeah. so so there was no trading last year so last year what we did was you dress up and come to my house. Three pieces of candy, pre-inflation, about 12 and a half cents a piece. So congratulations, 37 and a half cents of value for coming to my house. That's your starting point. And so last year, you could trade it for a dollar gift certificate from the local ice cream shop, right? Straight up, 37 cents or a buck. But remember that if you were old enough, you could ride your bike to the ice cream shop. And I really wanted to support a local business struggling through the pandemic. But if you were a little bit younger, you might need your mom to take you. So you could straight up, straight up for a buck. Or you could pick from envelopes that had between 50 cents or $5. Or you could pick the lottery option, which was every envelope was empty except for one with a $10 bill and one with a $20 bill. So you could play for big money, but you were probably going home with nothing. So this year, because we're still kind of in
0: COVID protocols, I have to stay with I can't really touch anything. And before we get to that, let's talk about last year. Last year, obviously, the layup choice was to take the dollar gift certificate, right? I mean, you, yes. you easily triple your money. You come to the Jaffe House, you get a two hundred percent return. Just fantastic idea.
4: Yes, but you then have to make it that you're going to get to spend that dollar. Yeah. Like it's it's still a dollar in value for some of those kids, they'd rather take the chance and go, wait, I'm going to get some money. Yeah. If I play good point, just for whatever. So they could do it. And I think actually last year, now that I think about it, it was 25 cents to $5. So you could actually lose just a little bit. Your, your value could come down to a quarter. I but, believe it's not that bad. I mean, a, a, a pretty decent risk reward uh, scenario. I, so yeah, last year we wound up with, kids kind of going all over. It was kind of a split. But this year, the only change we're making is that when you lose the lottery, the thing that tells you, sorry, you lost, will tell you, but if you present this to me between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'll give you a buck. Come and say hello, find me, give it to me, and I'll cash it in for a dollar. So you have a second chance if you want to use it. Now, the kids are not going to know that in advance, but that way I salve the guilt of (laughs) I sent you home with nothing (laughs) and I give you a chance. And here's the question that I'm really going to have, which is, will they do it right? It's worth a dollar. You can find me out doing my leaves. You can find me out, whatever, anytime my car is home. And this is really serious because we live in times where people don't know their neighbors. I live in a neighborhood of cul-de-sacs, but I'm like the last one standing from my generation. In other words, I'm the guy who no longer has kids who go to the bus stop. Our neighborhood is like 70 houses. There's only one or two of us who are in that boat, and I don't want to be the creepy old guy that the kids are afraid to talk to with the old dog. Who you know? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. Not, I don't want to be that, so I'm I'm much less threatening because we talk. But I I love supporting the kids whether it's lemonade stands or, oh, if you're selling wrapping paper for high school or elementary school fundraiser, bring it to me. So I don't want that to stop. I want to have good relations
0: with my neighbors. This is one way that I do it, even if it's just with the kids. I think commercial wise too, there's some lessons here because I can't think of the number of times that I have had a mail-in rebate afterwards, right? So I get this purchase and it is a mail-in rebate where I get X amount off and I never send it in. I mean never send that thing in and so I end up losing out just because I don't follow through. So the follow through piece of this I think is is pretty cool.
4: Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what happens because there will be some kids who go, you know, when you're the only house in the neighborhood giving away money, pretty much everybody's going to take the money. <laughs> and by the way, I should point out, I do this only for kids third grade and up. Kids who are below third grade, here's your candy and go because while you can get them making financial decisions, And if I were simply doing what I did the first year, hey, you can have candy or you can have an envelope that has some money in it, then I would give younger kids a choice. Sure, But when I'm making the choices complex so that I can write about it, because let's face it, this is worth it to me. It's like, okay, on the one hand, it's expensive for Halloween. On the other hand, it's cheap for me to go, I got an easy column out of it. (laughs) So I'm perfectly happy to fund this that way. But I think that that's a big part of it. And I urge people, do this. Be the one in your neighborhood who does it, because I can promise you little Liam from a couple of doors down who won 20 bucks a few years ago, he's going to remember me for the rest of his life. He may not remember my name, but he's going to remember the day that he went out trick or treating and managed to turn three pieces of candy that he would
0: have gotten into 20 bucks. No, he's going to remember the day, Chuck, that he got 20 bucks from you. He turned around and put it in Shibubu coin. And now he's a bajillionaire because he was one of the first ones in. Well, his father happens to be a financial advisor.
4: (laughs) So he's probably not going to do that. And the fascinating thing is, so he won two years ago. When he came back last year, he didn't play the lottery option. He took the safe option. And I'm like, Liam. You're ahead of the game for the rest of your trick-or-treating life. You're betting the house's money now, Liam. Exactly. And he's like, nope, I figured I wouldn't get that lucky two years in a row. So I wanted to take the sure thing. Kids got a risk How's tolerance that? like
0: mine.
4: It, well, but but the kid's risk tolerance. The first time he couldn't give me his six pieces of candy because that's what it cost him. He couldn't give me six pieces of candy fast enough. And then last year he was like, nope, I'm Mr. Conservative. I got my money. Protecting it now. And I love that. And, And I will point out that I put into each envelope the kids pick, I put an explanation of what your choices were, et cetera. And I tell the kids, don't open it in front of me, take it home. And then when you open it, celebrate or don't celebrate it with your parents and have discussions so that they can ask their parents, what would you do? And have a discussion about money. Because the one thing I am certain of is that no kid, and I say this as a kid who loves candy, and I'm still a big kid, I'm happy that I buy a lot less candy and I have a lot less leftovers. (laughs) And trust me, when they were trading candy to me, I bought almost no candy. I just kept recycling theirs. Yeah, yeah. But the lessons are amazing. I mean, the first year I did this, where we had a trade, I had this gaggle of girls, like seven girls come up at one time. They have sacks of candy. They are all uh, the first six or, you know, take the money, reach in and grab a handful of my candy. I don't care whatever you want. And I'm like, no. So I pull out and I think it was the year there was just one piece of candy. And the seventh girl, she goes, I want the candy. And she reaches into my bowl and she pulls Snickers bars. Mm. And I said, interesting. All your friends played. Why are you playing for candy? She goes, Snickers bars are my favorite. They're probably on top because you pulled them from like half of my friends from where we had just stopped. And she goes, I have a rule with my parents. They can't take Snickers bars. <laughs> so it's the candy that I want the most. That girl's destined to become a life insurance actuary. True well, story. But she got exactly what she wanted. Sure. So, so what do you want for your money, right? What would we all like? to get for our money how about if our money buys us exactly what we want we take a choice thinking about this you know how many people do you and i know who have worked their whole life to accumulate money and have a tough time spending it right there it's tough for them to think oh i can afford a more comfortable class when i'm traveling or whatever this is somebody who at a very early age goes wait i could have made more money or i could have gotten exactly what i wanted sometimes the life lesson is buy exactly what you want. If you can afford it, which she could in candy terms and whatever else, get what you want. That's its own lesson. I mean, that's part of the fun for me is that
0: we're teaching way beyond all of the, Hey, are you taking cash? You're taking candy. (laughs) I just wish you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, it'd be the perfect thing. Like then it would be fine.
4: I will tell you a way that somebody else enjoys it. One of my listeners on Money Life, my show is a guy who lives in a place where he knows he doesn't get many kids for Halloween. So what he started doing for cash or candy was he makes up a dozen envelopes. They have 50 cents and one has $5. And then he goes and he buys full-sized Almond Joy bars. Wow! And then when you come, he offers you a choice. You can have the big candy or you can have an envelope. He does this because, A, he doesn't want much in the way of candy. B, his wife's favorite candy is Almond Joy's. <laughs> So he is winning Halloween. No matter what. He no. wins Halloween. He has stacked he, the deck. Exactly. Oh, by the way, if you take the cash, statistically, he comes out better. He's bought his wife. The, the full size bars would probably cost a buck, but most of the kids are winning 50 cents. So
0: Retain, congratulations. Retains his capital. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? I'd take the envelope too, Chuck, because Almond Joys are nasty. Just absolutely, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. Most people look at me and they go, dude, how do you make three shows a week? You, you make five shows a week. What's coming up on money life. You're going to obviously be talking about this next week. I assume, right? What well, happened on always, Halloween? We will discuss the, the yeah. results. Absolutely. Cause you know, we,
4: I set it up and at some point and if folks want to find about it, they if they go to the website for the show, moneylifeshow.com and they look in my columns they'll find a column that I wrote that basically set up Halloween because I always encourage people to try this in their own version. And so, yes, I will do that. You know, my show, Joe is totally guest driven, and we have some amazing people that we're talking to, whether it's Chris Davis, the founder of the Davis funds, who is later on this week or Fei-Fei Lee, the director of research at research affiliates and what have you. It's really, you know, let's talk to the best and brightest minds, at pretty high levels. That's
0: the fun. I mean, I get paid to play. I can't wait. I'll be listening next week to find out money life with Chuck Jaffe on five amazing days a week. Chuck, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend.
4: Always a pleasure. And good luck with your book.
0: I can't wait to talk with you about your book on my show. Big thanks to Chuck Jaffe for hanging out. How about that? OG? turn it into a game. Halloween as a game.
3: Now they're calling it the hollow weekend. Oh, come on. It was a target ad that I heard. And I was like, that's interesting branding. Well,
0: three times the candy, three times the fun, right? That's right. I'm down with that.
3: You only give out the big candy bars, I know. Or do you give out apples and nickels? You're one of the two. What are you talking about? You're an about? apple nickel guy, aren't you? I knew it.
0: No, you know what I always hated? Those people that gave out like the crappy- uh, Popcorn uh, balls. Yeah, come on. No, give me something good. Like a Snickers. I'll take the Snickers. But play in Chuck's game. Good stuff. Hey, coming up in a second, Wes Moss joining us for What the Happiest Retirees Know. He is not only the host of the longest running financial talk show in the nation out of Atlanta, Georgia, but he also is a fantastic financial planner. Wes going to join us. He did some work on What the Happiest Retirees Know. That's coming next, but look who we got here. Doug, what do you got for us, man?
2: Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, according to this bizarre holiday calendar, it's National American Beer Day. And I'm excited to report that I've been celebrating all morning. Wikipedia says beer is one of the oldest and most widely consumed alcoholic drinks in the world. And the third most popular drink overall after water and tea. Tea. And who needs water? Anyway, according to... Best Life Online, you know, where I go for all my reliable information. What's the best selling beer in the United States? I'll be back with your answer right after I figure out the puzzle on this Schaefer's cap.
0: Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country.
2: Hey there, stackers, I'm famous bar patron, lounge lizard, and beer aficionado, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug. Ah, beer. You know, nothing I like better than hanging out with the guys talking about beer. We'll laugh about how the icy cold beverages produced by the brewing and fermentation of starches mainly derived from cereal grains, most commonly from malted barley, though wheat, corn, rice, and oats are also used. I mean we just laugh and laugh. Then we'll all lean in and talk about how that sweet, delicious fermentation of starch sugars brewed with hops adding bitterness and flavors and that act as a natural preservative and stabilizing agent. Eh, it just makes it all come together. Good times, good times. So there's good beer and then there's popular beer. What's the best selling beer? According to Best Life Online, you know, where, again, I go for all my reliable information. It's not Heineken, which came in at number nine. It's not Natural Light, Bush, Miller Light, Coors, or Corona, though they, too, are in the top ten. Number three is, surprisingly, Modelo? 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 Whatever. Number two is Michelob, with their Mick Ultra label, and the number one beer in the United States of brewskis? Of course, it's the king of beers, Budweiser. Now,
0: here comes the guy who's the king of Atlanta money radio, Wes Moss. Here he comes down the stairs to the basement. It's my new BFF. Wes Moss is here. How are you? Joe, it's so cool to be in the basement.
5: Thank you for having me. I know the last time we saw each other was probably Austin, Texas, but great to be here.
0: When did you get an aquarium? Are you a fish lover? Where did that come from? Well, you know, Doug needs something to do. He needs to go fishing and we can't have him leave the basement. So, dude, we have to give him something. It just, he'll say, look at how he stares at the fish. Check yeah. that out. He's eyeing them. Yeah. It's an easy target. <laughs> it is. It is amazing. Speaking of targets, a tough target is finding retirees that are actually happy. My friend, because you know, this, we had a person on the show just a couple of weeks ago who talked about how to be sad, Helen Russell and Helen talked about, we have this thing. That's the fallacy of a rival that with all the work you've done with so many people helping them get to retirement, we think that I'm unhappy now, but when I arrive at X spot, I will all of a sudden become this happy person. And Helen said, that's a big lie. She's somebody that just studies it. You're somebody that's worked with these people.
5: It is. And it's dramatic too. And the thought that we're going to get to this place of, Hey, we've got some financial freedom. And now all of a sudden I don't have to go to the job that I kind of don't love anymore. There is this thought that we we're going to get to this place of financial freedom, and then we're going to be able to stop our job. And I always talk about this, the Gallup study that always talks about employee engagement, and and the numbers they wax and wane a little bit. But the reality is, only about twenty to thirty five percent of Americans really love or engage in their job. That means sixty five percent are really just so ready to get out. And one in five, as we know from the, the same Gallup study that I've studied now, it's updated 20 different times over the past 20 years, is that they hate their job so much they're trying to bring their company down. And there's this thought of, oh, I just stopped working and I've got just enough money to do it or maybe plenty of money to do it. And all of a sudden the skies will open and everything's gonna be kitty cats and candy canes, and it's not. In fact, there's a lot of evidence, Joe, that shows that, the transition is brutal. It's really easy to tip into levels of higher unhappiness, more depression, more anxiety prescriptions, by the way, once people retire. And then even longevity, our, our longevity is impacted
0: very often. It's got to be because of unmet expectations, I would think. We have all these big expectations that are ahead of what it's going to be. And when none of that materializes, Wes, it's gone. It's the best trip ever.
5: Think about when we go on a trip. It's rare that the trip ever lives up to how exciting it is to plan for the trip. And I think it's the same thing with, with retirement is that we think it's going to be amazing and perfect just because it is what it is. And we've heard about it and we've thought about it. The reality is in order to make it this amazing experience, and in order to have it be extraordinarily fulfilling and exceed our expectations, there's a lot
0: inside of that recipe to work on before your last day at work. So you start with your dad who was a large animal veterinarian uh, near Amish country. And he would haul you around and you would meet these fascinating people that, by the way, we had Amish country just south of where I lived, uh, Amish and Mennonite country. So lots of horse and buggies that we would go around down the road and people living a whole different life than I was living. But tell me that story about going around with your dad.
5: I grew up going on these farm calls with my dad and going in the dark in the morning to a cold morning on an Amish farm. We're mostly dairy farmers. And it is, it's like going back to the 17th, 18th century. Nothing has changed for the Amish. It's still gas lanterns. It is no electricity, no television, no radio, no podcasting. They'd say, hey, can we go in your dad's truck and listen to the radio? Like it was this amazing thing. I'm like, how poor, I'm like, guys, this can't be. So I grew up having this window into a group of people that they chose to live. They could have had all the money in the world, but they chose to live as they, uh, many centuries ago. And, And that experience is always stuck with me about the life that they live, their level of happiness seemed to be through the roof, despite basically choosing not to live with any money. And the last piece of a story there is that I remember balance beaming in this barn where the cows all stand in one row and they all just stand there, right? This is a dairy farm and they're just there for the milk and they're standing there all day. And all they're doing is below all the cows rear end, they just go to the bathroom all day long. And as a five-year-old, thinking it'd be great to balance me along this way. And I slipped. And it was a cold, cold November morning in Pennsylvania. My father spraying me off with a hose and he was just basically saying, Wes, you're such a dumbass, you know, for doing that. (laughs) And I remember thinking, I will never, ever, do what this guy does for a living. I will never be a veterinarian. And that came that day and I have never forgotten.
0: <laughs> and that's how you went into finance. Uh, but that's an interesting story because you talk about your dad when he sold his business about your dad seemed very happy, but he was also when he retired was able to make kind of a smooth retirement then out of that business.
5: Yeah, you know, again, it was such a big part of his life. Having a practice, small, he was large animal for a long time. Then he was small and large, and then he ultimately was small animal, and he did it for forty three years. And he still is like this to this day. And he's been retired for a few years now. But his transition has been so good because it wasn't that he was tired and sick of being a veterinarian. It's not that he disliked being a veterinarian. But what he kind of, in my mind, anecdotally, let's say, and this this is why I went out and did research around this has so much curiosity. And I say in the book that curiosity may have killed the cat, but a lack of curiosity kills the happy retiree. And he has so many different things that he, what I call core pursuits, that it's almost this model of he plays guitar and he teaches fencing, like as in like fighting, right? He's like a reenactor of all sorts, the Revolutionary War, Civil War, but all of these different core pursuits that revolve around whether he's working on the farm, gardening, raising, doing something, reenacting, playing music. Just it's just such a long list of things that occupied his time when we were kids beyond being a veterinarian. And that all that's done is accelerate for him. And here's a sign of a happy retiree. I'm busier today than I've ever been. Oh, yeah. That's the retiree that's super excited about their next phase. By the way, they have 3.6 core pursuits. That's the average. And more is better. Five is better. Eight or better. Now you can't have a hundred, but happy retirees have this insatiable curiosity of I want to do something new, and what I'm already doing, I want to get even better at it. And it's just this lifelong journey. And the the root of the word pursuit, and I don't know the the etymology of this. Let's say, but I it, pursuit also is cousins with pursue, which is also some. So a, a, your pursuit in life. And your passion in life and your purpose
0: in retirement is just a must, must have. You've heard this 100 times being in financial planning, because certainly I've heard this for the past 25 years, which is you're not retiring from something, you're retiring to something. That's really what you're talking about. Your dad had all these other things he just didn't have time for, right, that now he wants to have time for. Right, he probably had time for three or four of them.
5: And really he listed out, and I actually have a copy of this letter that I, I published a copy of the letter with his permission in the book. It- yeah, yeah. He's a kind of a private guy. I was like, you should have a YouTube channel about, he makes saddles like out of leather. And I was like, this is such a fascinating thing. You should have a like a YouTube. He's like, he's like, hell no, I'm not going to have a YouTube channel. But in the letter, he listed out all these crazy things that I've never even thought of. Like he listed cowboy poetry.
0: Yeah. Can I read them to you? Sure. Your dad writes in his letter, I must admit that I approach this change of life with mixed emotions while stepping away from veterinary medicine is hard, as many of you know, I have a few other interests that I look forward to pursuing. And this gets to your list, Wes uh, geology, Civil War medicine, fencing, leatherwork, fox hunting, trail riding, woodworking, sewing, time traveling through historical reenacting, music, art, cooking blacksmithing and the one you just mentioned, cowboy poetry and more exclamation boy. Like he's got this list that's so long, he can't even print the whole thing in this letter to his family.
5: So he's a musician, he's a guitar player and he's a pretty good guitar player. And he's he, a he, Renaissance he, man, Wes. He's a lot of stuff. And I'm, I would say I'm also proud of him too, because he's pushed the limit. When you're a musician, usually people have their role. And if you're not a pro musician, you kind of stick to your lane. Versus somebody who might be awesome at guitar and piano and sing. And and that's maybe not my dad. But one of the first things he did after he retired is he went and he did three songs that he wrote on stage. And he sang them at this like cowboy poetry festival. And it was a very, very, it was nerve wracking for him to do. But I was just proud of him. And it's just a great example of it doesn't matter what any of these things are. It's a matter of you you love them so much that you're willing to continue to get better at them and push the limits. And there's really never a bad time to start something new or get better.
0: That is one of the core tenants that you found about being a happy retiree. Another one was a couple that you worked with. This is Ron and Rita and Ron and Rita are coming out of COVID. They're super excited. They finally get the family back together, like getting the band back together. Right. Tell me what Ron and Rita were planning.
5: So I, I talk a little bit of my mom because she is an avid tennis player. And that's, a, that's one of her big things in the world. And tennis, we've heard, obviously can help. It's actually the, the most longevity-producing sport you can do in retirement. It adds something like 9.7 years to life expectancy. But Ron and Rita, Margarita, are actually, the, it's really the pseudonym for my in-laws. They really wanted to get everybody together. If you think about COVID, was this time of, Separation, and COVID is part of the equation. And two, how do you then get everybody together and still be able to do it within budget? And they're emblematic of so many retirees that I've worked with that are that are really eager to do something big with the whole family. And in some cases, it's going a safari, and it's going to cost a bunch of money. Is can I afford it? Is it worth it? Because I get my whole family together. Sometimes it's a family reunion, and the story of Ron and Rita, Margarita, is really just that. How could they afford this almost wedding like, if you will, event that's going to cost a bunch of money? And going through kind of the financial planning of that was a lot of fun. And and I'm always a big believer if it has to do with one of your core pursuits in life and it has to do with socialization, it has to do with family, then the chances are it's probably worth every
0: single penny when it comes to what it costs. So you're not against some of these big weddings, right? You see people talk about. Well, you shouldn't blow a bunch of money on one of these big wedding things. It seems like based on that, you're pro big wedding. You know, Clark
5: Howard has been kind of my radio mentor over the years, who is in Atlanta long before I ever even started a media And he's always about save more, spend less, spend less, spend less. I might be on the other end of the spectrum there. The way I look at budgeting and spending is as long as we have a couple of these core financial checkpoints, and one of the chapters in the book has to do with I'm a huge believer in understanding what I call the 4% plus rule. And we all have heard of the William Bengen study, the MIT guy that went back out through history and said, how much money, what's the max I can take out of my investments and never run out or have a high probability of not, never running out. And in 2017, he hadn't updated that study since like the early 90s. So I, my whole team, we redid the whole thing and then we redid it in 2020 again. So if you go back over the course of really 100 years of economic history, you can really take out and w- anywhere from four to five percent, including updating that for inflation every year, increasing it for inflation. And depending on how you operate with that, your money's gonna last again 90% of the time, 30 to 50 years plus, forever. So as long as you are operating under that four percent plus framework, which is this very dynamic, important rule of thumb then I think you should be able to spend whatever you want on whatever, what anything you want, whether it's a huge trip or a round the world flight or a big wedding or a big family reunion. I think those are all on the table as long as you can use that 4% plus rule that gives you some leeway in any given year. Let's be a
0: little less judgy about it. (laughs) Go, go, go and spend. (laughs) Well, if it makes you happy. Which, I want to juxtapose this, and then we're going to dive into a few of what you found out from your research, because you got into this research then, because you've got Ron and Rita Margarita, you've got your dad and your mom, you've got the Amish people, they're all these happy people doing the things they want, and then you read, in 2019, a Wall Street Journal article mm. that even reading you, Wes, it sounded like you wanted to just torch the newspaper.
5: I was so mad, because... I had written this book, You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think. It was all about all the financial checkpoints to be able to clock out earlier than you might have thought. And it included my earlier research on what happy retirees were able to do, the habits of the happy group. This is my earlier research. And what I ultimately found in that book as I was writing it is that they ended up crossing over a bunch. So the happy retirees, their habits typically were the folks that had early possible retiree dates, and I get so much momentum with that book and all this happiness research, and I'm really hitting my stride. And then I remember getting seeing this article, you know, something like the case, the case against, against early, early retirement. Early retirement, yeah. and I was so angry at the way he approaches how much money we can spend because I think at one point he and and it's not just him. There's there are other people that have published on this that you could only use something like two point seven percent of your money. And then I remember around the same time of that article, Susie Orman had written that you should minimum have 5 million, but better to have 10 million and you should work at least until you're 70. And I think you have to have a private island, by the way. On the cover of Kiplinger's. Yes. And the way I look at that, if one expert's saying you have to work forever and have 10 million minimum. So basically the only way not to run out of money is to work until you die. That's a good strategy. And then one guy's saying, well, you can only use 2% of your money. Then I start to say, what's the message that's sending? And to me, the message is, well, it's never enough. More hamster. You never can save enough. If you do, you can't really use it. Like, what's the point if you can only use 2% per year? So I wanted to try to be more practical. Like, where can we find a a better balance of all the work to save? And then how do we use it best so that we don't have to budget as much? As long as we follow that rule, it takes care of the budgeting for you. And that's, that's where I land. Joe, somewhere,
0: somewhere in the middle. Well, I love this because it's a combination, Wes, of numbers and the stories that you let off with. Which is, you know, the issue of what is happy, right? I mean, we've we spent the first fifteen minutes just talking about what is happy even mean, and there seems to be this big disconnect. So you do this monster study about the happiest retirees. And let's walk through these. You say that the happiest the happiest retirees have excellent money habits. They have $500,000 or more in savings. Their mortgage payoff is complete, or at least in sight. And they have multiple streams of income. I'm going to walk through each of these. Mortgage payoff complete. You and I get people all the time. You on on, on the radio show, us on the podcast, you even on the podcast as well, because you're all over the place. These professors telling you that you shouldn't pay off the mortgage. But you're saying that the happiest retirees do pay off their mortgage or they're awful damn close to doing it. This was just
5: research. And I remember, I think the question, and I've done now, I think five or six different studies that are into this. The the original one was back in 2013. Then I did another one in 2019, et cetera. I've done many of these money, happiness, habit studies. And one of the earlier findings I had, I think it was Rick Edelman that wrote a, a whole book about not paying off your mortgage. You know, you're crazy to pay off your mortgage. You can make 10% of the market. Mortgages only cost, I think at the time, five. Now Oops. they only they cost like nothing. Now. Sure, right. Even better math so now. Even now, even more so now. But I think it was through the financial crisis in like maybe oh seven oh eight when we went through a mortgage crisis, I remember the calm of the families that I worked with as a financial professional doing this for a living of just how easy they sailed through to me is the most fascinating relationship that I would never in a million years have expected to be this well-documented is that as years to pay off mortgage go down literally light at the end of the tunnel under the the end of the tunnel getting bigger like I'm almost done paying Wells Fargo every month as years to pay off mortgage go down happiness levels go up. Period. End of story. Another way to look at the data is that retirees that are within five years of paying off their mortgage or having it paid off, they're four times, four times more likely to end up in the happy group. So to me, that, that through the financial conversation Not out the window, because it's still valid that what Edelman, let's say, says, make 10 only costing you four, make 10 all day. But the less tangible or psychological side to making that decision to get rid of the mortgage is even more important and more powerful than the financial argument in order to keep a mortgage.
0: We already talked about number two here, happy retires. You're curious and adventurous with at least three core pursuits. I think you said 3.6. But the third one on here... They love their kids and see them regularly, but their kids are independent, meaning they booted their butts out of the house at 18. I mean they they have their own lives. Uh is there a line there versus because I feel like you're looking at me, Wes, when we're here in mom's basement.
5: I don't know what you pay in <laughs> rent, but I'm sure it's grand. <laughs> we we get to I don't be know who pays for this aquarium over here. This thing is like uh the Atlanta aquarium.
0: But this idea about separation from family, independence, but also this attachment. Talk to me about that. Yeah, this is an interesting
5: one. We want our kids nearby, but we don't want them in the house. And one of the ways I I found that out beyond asking that specific question was finding out how much we support our adult children financially. You know, when you and I were in our teens and we're dating ourselves a little bit here is that particularly the baby boomer generation was like this. It's like, as soon as you got your license at 16, you're driving. As soon as you could get out to school, you're gone. And then you got married really early in your twenties on average. There have been a lot of societal changes that have led to, and maybe this is just the cost of school, Joe, like everything's way more expensive. right? School education, the inflation is like 12% a year on average. So maybe it's just a function because it's just so, so much harder to afford for our youth to get out of the nest earlier. But I wanted to understand the relationship and happy retirees actually do end up spending less money on average on their adult children. That was my question. How much do you support every month for your adult children? Not your teenagers, but your adult children that should technically in your mind be out of the house. And they spend on average a lot less per month than the unhappy re- retiree group does. And the unhappy retiree group, for a variety of reasons, and a lot of times in this book, I just present the data. I, I give you my opinion, but I don't know if that's right or wrong. I'm just presenting the data. Is that the unhappy group has allowed their children to stay less independent. And I'm not talking about just trips to like, hey, we're going to help them on a trip to Disney. I'm talking about like car payments, yeah, yeah. private school
0: tuition. So it's important to get the kids off the payroll halfway through the book, you have that in all caps, by the way, as I turn the page and I see stop financially supporting your children in all in all caps. My kids are too young to know about that yet. I mean, my
5: oldest is 14 all the way down to five. So, I've been telling them, I'm like, guys, listen, it's going to lead to
0: an unhappy life if by the time you're 21, yeah. you're still
5: asking me for money.
0: It goes directly to, and and you know when you hear the truth is when you start hearing this research circle and different researchers finding the same thing. Back to Helen Russell, who you and I opened with talking about and her how to be sad, is that when you try to shelter your kids from sadness by helping them out a little, they're sadder living with you than they would be if they were out on their own anyway. And they need to have that little bit of deeper sadness of getting on their feet, I think, to experience true happiness. And you're not going to have yours either if you don't if you don't get there, I would think. Right. Exactly. It works both ways. It's good for kids to be out, and it's great for you for them to be out. Yes. Oh, it makes me feel so good that my kids who are 26 are on their own, doing their own thing, and they still want to talk to us, you know. They still want to talk to us. They still want to <laughs> hang out with mom and dad. But it's funny because you go from you go from thinking my kids are going to be badasses, they're going to rule the world to I just hope they're happy and yeah. that they can do their you know and that they can so live true. on their own. You're so
5: right about that. And my philosophy now is having a fourth kid is just like it's almost a one hundred and eighty from the first kid, like the first kid, it's like, I I, don't, they need to do this lesson and that lesson and learn three languages. And by the time I'm (laughs) on the fourth, kid, I'm like, I just want these kids to (laughs) be able to not go to jail, make a living and get out of my house, but still live relatively nearby, which is another really important habit.
0: Well, and there's a lot more in here. And if people want more, they can read the book because there's so many cool things that you found out about happiness and so many things. After I read it, Wes, I thought, okay, that makes sense. But at first it was very surprising. In fact, I know that going through this, I'm sure there had to be some of this stuff that surprised you. You're like, that doesn't make sense. What's one thing that really surprised the hell out of you as you're doing all this research?
5: There's a lot. So the marriage and happiness timeline is fascinating to me. The different phases of marital happiness relative to how we spend our money, it kind of goes from it's all about me and then it's about us, then it's about them as in the kids and then the kids leave and then it, we so that that relationship and the, the happiness and marital timeline is really fascinating to me all
0: the way down to the proximity of our children. I've, uh, and I'll, I'll leave- Well, wait a way. minute, before we get there, I just want a little clarification there. Do we tend to get happier? Because I look like it, Cheryl and I, and I think we were happy- enough, like blissful and ignorant to happy, to not that happy, to very unhappy, to more happy than ever before. Like a U shape.
5: Yeah. I'd almost look at it as though this, uh, it's a little square Rudy, but there's, <laughs> I, there's actually no way there there's maybe it's an upside down praying mantis. I can't, there's okay. really no shape for this except for we have a ton, ton of happiness early on in marriage. And it lasts for a while. And then something happens that absolutely craters it for most people. And there's a lot of variables that do it, but perhaps a big one is that all of a sudden, all that spending that used to be on just us as a couple, now is on them. And that's a really tough adjustment. And then as over time, if the kids get independent, and this is why in general, once you have this big crater, there's some oscillation in marital happiness when it comes to the number of years, but it does generally rise as we get older. Maybe you're in that point now where because your kids are what 26.
0: Yeah, so it's how many kids? How many kids do you, have? you have? Just just two. You have two. Okay. We have twins. And are they in
5: Texas, or where no, are
0: no. My son is an engineer with Microsoft in Seattle, and my daughter teaches English in Japan. Um, See, they do rule the world. Yeah, 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 but I don't care about any of that. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're doing great stuff that they love. And and by the way, my daughter's in a profession that she absolutely loves and making no money and comfortable with it. She's got the tightest budget I know of. She's like the world's best thrift shopper. My son has seven rental properties that he's fixing up and a career that he loves and doing this far out. So, but but you know what I mean? They're they're twins and they're completely doing different things, but they're both doing something that they're passionate about, which that's the only part I'm happy about was the end of that sentence. If they're happy with what they're doing, then that's fantastic. But the rest of it is, yeah.
5: Going back to your question, there's a lot of things that surprised me here. Faith and church was another chapter. I wrote a whole chapter mm. about faith and giving and doing
0: good works. And then there were some surprising findings there as well. I would imagine just thinking bigger than you like the older I get, the more I think thinking bigger than me is, is an important thing. You know, my community. Yeah. We've lost that. I, you know, I am,
5: I actually for, um, uh, Emily S. Stefani Smith, uh, who wrote the power of meaning. Mm. I just had her on retire sooner podcast. And she, I actually asked her about that. You know, how do I dive deep into this thought around faith and going to church and, she gave me a very deep answer and I'm not, and I wouldn't do it justice, but she grew up in a Sufi family, which was this, this really communal religious environment where people were really searching for meaning. And the, maybe it's the me growing up Quaker around the Amish, but she went through this whole concept around how 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, we almost had to as society have a something bigger to believe in. And the more modern and more media involved we've, we've become and there's more social media, the easier it has been to look for external sources of that. And she went to Penn and she went to Dartmouth and she studied this her entire life. She actually studies positive psychology, but maybe she's right about that. And maybe that's why there's this interesting relationship. Just a little bit of church, what I found, just a little bit of church for whatever reason goes a really long way towards increasing the the propensity to landing in this happy group relative to the unhappy group.
0: The book is called What the Happiest Retirees Know, 10 Habits for a Healthy, Secure, and Joyful Life. It is out tomorrow. Wes, where do we get it? Everywhere?
5: Yeah, I would say it's Amazon and it's Wesmoss.com. And, you know, that's pretty much everywhere that we need to be. <laughs> you,
0: you mentioned it earlier. People are in Atlanta. They can hear you on the longest running financial show. That's that I think in the nation, but if we're not in Atlanta, you mentioned it a second ago, the retire sooner podcast. And what do you got? What do you got cooking? You know, nobody listens to this show. If there's anything secret, you can just share it here. Just <laughs> a couple buds. Actually. I'm thinking about the schedule here is that Joe
5: Salci is coming up on the retire sooner podcast, which is really one of my favorite conversations I've had all year with you. So I thank you for coming on it was awesome. And you know, I've been in the financial industry like you for 25 years. And I just want somebody to be able to share something new, interesting, and have fun about it. In fact, I've done a, lot, a fair amount of podcasts where I've done interviews and I've scrapped them. Hopefully, you don't scrap this one. But they're, <laughs> if they're not interesting enough, you're, and I don't you're learn on the enough, edge, man. You're on the edge. <laughs> if they're not good enough, I'm literally going to, I'm not going to air it. So that's kind of my promise to myself and to the listeners is that it want, I hopefully they're they're mostly at least pretty good.
0: <laughs> I think they're fantastic. And and Thanks, I'm not man. talking about episode you and me, have, but I absolutely love it. I take you running with me. So it's a good time. We'll link to it right. in the show notes and also the link to the book in the show notes. Wes, great seeing you again, my friend. Uh, you can step over next to the fish tank now and we'll go on finishing the show.
5: You're good. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Hey, this is Lou Mangello from
2: WDW Radio. And now when I'm not at Walt Disney World or sharing my passion for Disney World or eating, I am stacking Benjamins.
0: Thanks to Wes for stopping by. You know, it's funny. It's been a truism for a long time. Retire to something, not from something. But I love the way that Wes paints that picture for us. Four things. You got your four
3: things lined up. Uh, no, I'm still in the middle of financially supporting my kids. So sadly they're not happy and nor am I.
0: (laughs) Nobody's happy in your family. I like that. It it is so true because I feel very close to my kids. I feel great that they're both doing great. And we have a, I don't know, we have a fantastic time. I was on a walk yesterday with uh, Cheryl in the morning and it's wild because Cheryl and I were beginning our day and autumn was ending her day in Japan. So she was on her way home from work (laughs) and we're just Sipping coffee, out on a walk, getting ready to head in to work. Uh, it's always strange for me, but just love talking to my kids and hanging out with my kids. My son's about to go on a vacation with us to some national parks, so that'll be a good time. But yeah, if you support your kids, that's that's really not a shock, is it? That the kids are also miserable.
3: Yeah, it's not what they signed up for.
0: No, but that said, I feel like sometimes kids rely on parents just because they don't know where else to turn, which makes them. Even more miserable, not miserable necessarily mom and dad, just miserable with life. Right. So, a lot of work to do there. Big thanks to Wes. What a great read and a fantastic study. And uh, we'll have a link to it at our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Of course, we'll also have lots of links about retiring happier in our newsletter, The Stacker, benjamins.com forward slash stacker to get that. And uh, some news coming up there that we're going to share here next week about the stacker stackers going bye-bye. OG, I guess I'll just say it here stackers going. Away. So we're not sharing it next week. I'll share exactly what's happening. If you sign up for the stacker, you're signing up for something that's, that is going to be even better, but the stacker is getting a reboot. Ah, so it's not going away.
3: It's, uh, it's, uh, it's getting a little facelift. Yes. New name, new
0: design, new, uh, little, uh, tweak on the idea uh had some great discussions in the basement about the show recently and that led us to have a fantastic internal discussion about how to add even more value. So, you want some value? Sign up early and you'll be there when uh all the fun changes happen in just a couple of weeks, but we'll we'll explain more about that later. All right. Enough foreshadowing. Hey, let's take out the Magnifying Glass and help somebody do better with their money, OG. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of money.com. When you head to stackyourbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what you find? Lots of cool stuff. It's so amazing that those financial products you use every day from your brick and mortar bank, nowhere near the best in class because over 92% of all the products available online ranked head to head at magnifymoney.com. Plus a fantastic blog that dives into the nitty gritty for somebody that really wants to know how the different uh, accounts work, how different players in the fintech market work. It's all at magnifymoney.com dot com forward slash magnify money tells them that we set you today. We're going to help Steve magnify his money. Say hi, Steve.
1: Hey, Doug and Joe and OG. This is Steve calling from New Hampshire. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I've learned a lot about personal finance by going to the Afford Anything podcast, like you guys suggested. But since Paula does mostly real estate, I figured I would throw this one to you. Uh, I'm currently working on paying down some debt and was wondering if it makes sense to reduce my 403B contribution to my employer match and use the other money that I had been investing to more aggressively pay down debt. Interested in hearing what you guys have to say. On a side note, uh, if Doug ever, you know, decides to get out of the business. My mom always told me I had a face for radio. So just feel free to reach out to yours. Truly. I am a size medium and hope to hear my voice on the radio. See ya. Congratulations on being a
0: medium, Steve. Steve already knows, of course, that Gertrude just sends a, uh, sends a code. So you get to choose whatever size you want. So Steve, you decide to go with the extra small just to make it all tidy tight. Well, then you can, you can do it. That's the cool thing about uh, the way Gertrude does this, but congrats on the medium. That is nice. Uh, Let's dive into his question. OG, what are you thinking?
3: Reduce your contributions to retirement to pay off debt, but keep it at the employer match. So keep the free money, kind of the general sense of it, right? Yeah. Here's the pros and cons of that. If you've got a lot of debt to go, and you're going to be reducing your retirement contributions for a long time, then the downside is you're missing out on that potential compounding. And we always talk about the last double being the most important one. And you want to get as much money in there as you can before you get to that last double. But obviously, if you have debt and you carry debt into retirement and you know, and it affects your cash flow and the before retirement and all that sort of stuff, then you're going to have an issue with getting enough money because you got to service all this debt because you're going to have You know, if you have a two thousand dollars a month of credit card bills, you know that's five hundred thousand dollars extra in retirement savings you need to have. Those kind of the pros and cons of that. I would one hundred percent focus on paying off the debt and put my contributions at the four hundred three b max contribution number so that you get the company match. But this only works if you do that. It only works if you say, no matter what the difference was, you know that number every paycheck, just like you used to be doing, you have to take the difference. You're going to pay more taxes, right? Probably because your 403B is probably a pre-tax contribution. So whatever the difference is in your take-home when you change that, that number, every single solitary paycheck has to go towards your debt. You can't wait. You can't accumulate it. You can't say, well, I'm going to save this up and build my cash reserve first. Then I'll just pay it off, Or, but this month it's Christmas, so I probably should just take a little extra money out of it. You can do none of those things. Otherwise... You're just robbing from Peter and never paying Paul back. You're just robbing from yourself. And now what you've done is turned your former consumption habit, which is how you got the debt in the first place, into a current consumption habit that's going to only make you go backwards even faster.
0: Yeah. That was my very first thought, OG, that none of this matters if you don't change the root of the problem, which is
3: how did you get into debt in the first place? Totally agree. You can tell that you recently wrote a book that was edited for Clarity because you're like, yeah, cool. Let me sum this up into like one phrase that we put on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a headline of a chapter. <laughs> it's a summary. <laughs> but it's true. But what you're saying is
0: right on. I mean, why go through all this rigmarole, right? Why do all this work if you're just going to find yourself back in debt again? So you got to solve the problem first or it's all irrelevant. You're spinning your wheels. The only
3: way that it happens is if you actually do the stuff backwards right you have to like you can't do the same old same old because doing the same old same old is what got you in this place to begin with maybe it's not a big deal maybe you're like oh, i'll just knock this out in six months awesome try to knock out a four you know increase your standard try to do better than saying like well i'll just get it knocked out It's just gonna take me six months or it's gonna take me six years or whatever the number is be like no screw that i'm gonna do it in four get motivated around it you know but yeah, you have to do something different to kind of rewrite the record because your your record player plays one direction and it's been doing the same thing for a long time. You have to scratch that record up. Is that a reference that anybody gets still a record, scratching the record? You got to
0: spin it right round, right round, like a record baby. Yep. Does anybody get that reference? I get it. Yeah, that's so important. And the other question that most people don't answer that I would be curious to know is what is the impact on that goal before you make the move? Because- What I think sometimes too, OG, is that our brains are pretty damn smart, but but they're also very lazy, right? I actually, we've got an upcoming interview next Wednesday and prepping for that interview, talking to this neurologist about the brain, the brain is incredibly, incredibly lazy. So if we can throw money at a problem, it just makes it go away for the brain, right? The brain's like, cool, I'll work on something else. But if we deprive ourselves of the easy fix... Your brain often comes up with these cool strategies, you know, these great ways to solve the problem. And 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 the answer that we don't know, because, like, what if he's already, OG, what if he's already kind of screwed for retirement? Yeah. And he backs it down even more. Well, now he goes from screwed to even more screwed. And I remember uh, listening, I don't know, one of those gurus talking about this and saying, if you think you can't save now, imagine you're 62 and you haven't done any saving. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Steve hasn't saved. I don't, Steve, I don't know how much you've saved, but I would definitely want to know what's the impact. If I make this, am I going to be okay? Like, how does this change the goal? Because the other thing that does, oh gee, I think that also scares me and scares my brain into making sure I clean it up quickly, right? Sometimes that negative reinforcement is not a bad thing.
3: Avoid pain, gain pleasure. Those are the two things that you got to think about and try to figure out what motivates you the most. And, um, and if you're going to make a change to something that's working, you know, your four or B savings are working and you're going to try to do some optimization thing. You go, well, it's probably better to do this. Then you better make it fast and very super painful <laughs> just to like, get it yeah. over with. So you can go back to investing the right way. Sage advice, my
0: friend, as usual, OG drops the mic.
3: I can't. They're super expensive.
0: The dot com forward slash voicemail gets you to the place where we can help magnify your money. Steve, thanks again for calling in. And uh, it sounds like he'd be a good fit in the basement if he's got a face for radio. All right. That's going to do it for today. Lots of people to thank. We're going to let Doug handle that. Hey, thanks to everybody who's left us a review. We've had some incredibly nice people leave reviews. Here's one mom has on the fridge right now. ET phone home two fantastic show. I learn a lot. Five stars. I know this show's for entertainment purposes only, but I somehow keep learning new stuff. One day I'll even be able to land the plane. I've listened to a lot of personal finance podcasts, but this is definitely one of the very best, Ellie. Thanks, Ellie, for that kind review. Mom's bragging about you upstairs. We're bragging about you here with all our Stacker family. So thanks a ton for hanging out, and thanks for taking the time to tell people about the show. And by the way, if you know somebody that needs this, is getting ready for Halloween wants to do the economic game or cool ways to teach our kids about economics. The Chuck Jaffe interview, I think, was a lot of fun. And if somebody's getting ready to retire, man, those lessons from Wes Moss today, those are good things. But there's a lot of good things, and I think we'll start there with Doug. Doug, what should we have learned today?
2: Sure thing, Joe. Why don't you get back to refilling your craft beer bottles with the cheap stuff, and I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from Wes Moss. You can't retire from something. You need to retire to something or for something. Preferably, you're retiring to at least four things. Second, take a cue from Chuck Jaffe. Even Halloween is a great time to teach some money management and market basics. Plus, it's fun for you and the kids. But the big lesson... No Bells or Lagunitas or Founders or even Boulevard on that top 10 beer list? Come on, more proof that what really fuels the USA is cheap beer. You'll find Wes Moss's Retire Sooner podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. And you'll find his book, What the Happiest Retirees Know, wherever you buy books. Thanks also to Chuck Jaffe for sharing his Halloween economics lesson. You'll find Chuck's podcast "Money Life" with Chuck Jaffe, weird name, wherever you're listening to us right now. This show is the property of SB Podcasts LLC. Copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Salcihi. Our producer is Karen Rapine. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, the basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact: she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and remember, stackers, whatever you do, give 100%, unless, of course, you're giving blood.
0: Welcome to the After Show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the After Show, Wes, stays in the After Show. We never talk about it. Well, let's put it this way. From time to time, we have people that need to talk about this part of the show. And when they do, we just ask, call it dessert, right? Just call it dessert. Don't We don't talk about the After Show. I'm up for it. I had something I've been wanting to ask you for a long time, because rarely do we have financial professionals on anymore. We We, we don't have a lot of... CFPs on a lot of financial planners. We normally have people that like you and I were talking about earlier in the show that just have these wonderful stories, right? That I want to hear and I want to bring to light. And so I'm glad that you're both of those people, somebody with great stories in a financial professional. But the one thing that I'd love to hear from you and feel free to change the name. And while you're thinking about it, I'll just tell you my story. All right. Cause for everybody listening, I'm ambushing Wes with this. He's got no idea.
5: Uh, um, <laughs> you're right. I have no idea what's coming. <laughs> no idea where I'm going. You're, you're going to start talking about a fish tank in my office, by the way. Every,
0: yeah. <laughs> everybody asks me when I was a financial planner and they would come into our office. So how, how am I versus other people? Right. How am I? And I would always tell them, and I'm sure you do too. You know, I've seen everything and you're not as unique as you think you are. Things are going to be okay. Or you, you know, you're, you're not, who, and by the way, who cares how you're doing versus it's you against yourself. So let's go get that. So I would have that down. So very rarely would something surprise me, Mm. but every once in a while, somebody would come in and, and it would be an epic, epic moment that I could not share. So I've been out of the business Mm. for a long time. So I'll tell you about this couple that came in. I'm going to change their names. We'll call them Walt and Teresa. Walt and Teresa walk into my office and we, get along immediately. They decide to hire me. And at the end of that meeting, then I send them home with some homework. They come back. They, they send the homework to me ahead of time, which is their budget, how they think they spend money. And you know, a lot of people didn't know how they spent money and I would go look through it. And they were guesses in a lot of times, but I'm looking through their budget and their budget is really tight, but they have this entertainment number that is $450 a month. And they've got cable listed separately they've got travel listed separately. They have the restaurants listed separately and they still have this $450 number. And I'm thinking Wes, like a good financial planner, if this $450 is just in two places at the same time, because it was kind of close to everything else put together. I was like, that's $450 that I can teach them how to automatically save that. Right. I can teach them how to hide it from the
5: Yeah. Almost 500 bucks a month is can yes. Move the meter. Yeah, yes. The and yeah. so
0: now a lot of the problems they're worried about, we can solve them. So we sit down and we're walking through their budget. And I said, and frankly, I don't even care because we would have, you know, 10 to 12 meetings a week. And, and I'm just the pro asking the question. So what's this $450? Walt looks at Teresa. Teresa looks back at Walt. They get very quiet, incredibly quiet. And Teresa says, I told you we shouldn't have listed that. And immediately I went from not caring at all to intensely caring. What the hell's the 450 bucks? And Walt's like, well, he told us to put everything. And Teresa's like, yeah, I know, but we shouldn't have put that. And now I'm like, well, well okay. Uh, 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 what is, is it something we can reduce change? Let's just talk about it. What is it? And Teresa goes, man, I did. I, I really don't know that we should tell you. And Walt goes, we should tell him. We We talked about this last time that he's got to be a part of the team. And so he should know everything. And I'm like, what the hell is this brutal honesty? Yes. And so, and by the way, I'm loving how they're talking about me. Cause that's who I need to be. I need to be on the team. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, guys, you know what? If you don't want to tell me that's fine. And Teresa goes, no, it's okay. It's pot. Oh my God. And, and by the way, I don't know anything about pot, just not my thing, but I do know enough to know that's a load a pot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that, is, that, is, that is a lot. That's
5: a awesome, lot. That is that lived up to the expectation. I'm like, what is this? What is it? What is it? Yes, That is, that is funny. This is and this is a while ago before it was legal and oh this you know, is yeah this companies. has
0: been easily 15 to 20 years ago. Yes that happened. <laughs> yes. So what did you say to that? I just pretended it was okay. And I'm like, Hey, I'm cool. cool with that. Great. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I'm like, and I I think I even said, I'm like, I don't know much about pot, but that's a lot of pot. And Walt says, yeah, that's what I keep saying.
5: <laughs> it is a lot. It sounds like a lot <laughs> yeah. to me.
0: Do you think maybe we could cut the pot in half? Like Maybe we go a little lighter on the pot because that's still 225 bucks guys. It's a lot. It's that's a crazy. Decent amount of money. <laughs> anyway, that's an epic meeting that I had that was different than many. You must have over your long career have something that has stuck out where you can maybe change the names. Yeah.
5: Well, and I do, by the way, I do that in the book a lot, except for my dad and yeah, I think right? maybe
0: my mom, but like, I didn't know that Ron and Rita Margarita were your in-laws.
5: They're, they're, they're loosely based on my in-laws. Yes. Sometimes I'll combine these stories. Sure. And some are clients, some are in-laws. Yep. So, You know, as as soon as you said that, I'm wondering, I'm trying to answer this question in my head too. I'm like, what's Joe going to ask me? What is this? And I'm thinking, I will say that very often see people that they're, they're guilty about their spending because they, they know there's, they're doing something kind of wrong. And I think a lot of Americans, if you're honest with yourself, you're guilty about something. Everybody's "Ah, got a guilty. yes. Yes. Oh, we're spending way too much on that. And I'm thinking for a minute here about, our normal family that I work with over all these years is, is very millionaire next story. So there's a, they're relatively frugal and relatively conservative on their spending. However, there's two things that come to mind. One, I'm always fascinated with the uniqueness of how people get to a million bucks, five million bucks. And even though they they usually share a couple of things, they're super hardworking, they're either a professional or they have their own business or they're creative... The actual DNA of getting or the fingerprint is always, almost always totally, totally unique, which I think is fascinating and cool.
0: Yeah, that there are
5: multiple, multiple paths to greatness. It's almost infinite, right? It's almost infinite possibilities and paths. However, I've had anywhere from lottery winners where straight up scratch off lotto that have come like, hey, I literally th- brought in the lotto card, $3 million scratch off. So that was a shocker. And I was like, just "Don't let's not lose this thing! Right. Um, <laughs> don't lose it!" All the way to a family that—two stories. One, the hobby money that they were kind of snickering about. Like, well, where's this money coming in? There's a spending number, and then there's there's income. I'm like, "What is this hobby line?" And it's gambling. And they do these Texas Hold'em tournaments,
0: and they're making money gambling.
5: I'm calling it Jim and Kathy. Yeah. They're doing these Texas Hold'em tournaments that are like a couple grand to join and they'll go up 10 grand and then they'll go down seven grand and they'll go up 10 grand and they're they're like, oh, we get comped everywhere. But it wasn't enough. They kind of kept it in this this safe range. It was always kind of like yeah. never more than 10 yeah. grand total. And for them, that didn't move the meter a ton. So that was interesting. And then maybe on a less fun note, I've had some couples where one was had some sort of hidden money habit and and one of them is gambling oh yeah once in a while you'll hear about this but to see it and just the devastating impact or somebody who has things figured out financially but if one spouse has a habit that can all of a sudden be oh wait hey i need twenty seven thousand this month well wait a minute you usually need two We're, well how 27 oh it's just a one-time thing one-time thing yeah and two or three months later oh i need uh oh, it's for so it's my Another excuse, like, oh, this is for my daughter. Okay. 30 grand. Wow, 30. Grand. So I have seen some of these insidious habits really ruin people financially. And it's not a stretch to see how that can happen, but there's this in this particular case, there's so much guilt around it. And it's the spouse, and you're you're the one always covering for that spouse. So I've seen that really be really detrimental. And and you can try as an advisor and a therapist to do everything you can. Possible to try to get have them get a hold of it. You get the couple together. You try to talk about it, but at some point, it it's they great. have to make the decision. I was to say stop. it's
0: beyond you. At some point,
5: yeah. At some point, it's beyond us as advisors, and doesn't always work. And I've seen some people go down a not so great path. So I hate to end on a, a bad story note, but that's the, maybe I didn't know. I don't worry about this in the book, but that's a quintessential unhappy
0: retiree. Yeah. No, I, it's funny you say that. I luckily never had anybody with a gambling habit that I knew of, but I did have a client call me one time right after they hired me. She called me and said, uh, Rick does not know that we have $65,000 in credit card debt. And I'm hoping you won't tell him. Ouch. Oh, well, so what do you, how did you handle that? I told her that I couldn't not tell him that if they're both hiring me on the ADV, I'm both of their advisors, not hers, not, mm-hmm. n- not his, I'm both. So I said, you know what though? And we'll call the woman Sharon. I said, you know what, Sharon? it's uh, which Which is funny, Sharon and share, because my next thing is, I think it's probably time. I think this is, you know, the universe is telling you this is the time. And the only way to get out from under this is to come clean about it, right? At some point, you just got to let him in and say, hey, this is it. Because it's not going to get better without that. There's no way that I can help you funnel money to pay this off and not have him involved.
5: And ultimately they did, yeah. or at least they decided to, to share that. I mean, if somebody's going to tell you about their pot at 500 bucks a month in pot, they're <laughs> going to tell the, the spouse are going to share, look, we've got this credit card debt. We got to
0: get rid of it. Right. So. Right. But the people who collected goat hair for a living that did not, you know, you're having the reaction. A lot of people do. Hey, seen it. It's whatever. Yeah. Hey, you make money. Great. Uh, somebody had this thing where they, you know, in Michigan, it was 10 cents a can, which now because of inflation is nothing. Th- these people for fun would go around college campuses on game day weekends and they would just go oh, pick up wow. cans and they would make crap loads of money just getting returnables off of tailgates. Like they would. Did do you
5: have to go from was it was it you'd collect in Michigan and then go to the, across the border in Indiana to no, do was, the can it thing?
0: It was all in Michigan. It's all Michigan. Okay. Yes. And when I moved okay. back for a couple of years just recently, just standing in that line for ten cents a can, the ROI was no longer there. Like, and I it, 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 well, I don't know if it's also that I'm I'm not bougier, right? I'm like, uh. I don't really care about it, but I found out that our local scout troop would collect them and they'd take the money and I'd just, you know, every other month I would have them stop by my house and just pick up the the things and they could stand in line at 10 cents a can. So,
5: well, you, you may be nervous on that question. I was like, what am I, what, 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 what <laughs> it's hard to top that one though. You're, you're, it's hard to top the 450 bucks a month.
0: <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is.